Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. This is Zach Adams. I'm your host. I hope you stay with me over the next hour. This is my favorite time of the year. It is the Christmas season. It is Friday, December 22nd. Christmas is just a few days away, and I absolutely love this time of the year. My wife Jessica and I have always uh, gone big when it came to Christmas, the Friday after Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, We go and get a real tree. We decorate the house. Uh, We love this time of the year. One of my favorite memories was in 2011. Uh, We had been told for months uh, that our firstborn son, Quincy, was coming on Christmas Eve. And yet, uh, if you know, due dates are kind of a finicky thing. And uh, most of the time, it's only about a 2% chance uh, that your kid will actually come on this scheduled day. And yet, Quincy was prompt and punctual and and sure enough 6 30 that evening christmas eve 2011 my son quincy was born and it was such a cool experience uh, being able to read that morning um, the christmas story to my son to tell him about jesus today i want to talk about christmas and i want to do it from kind of an interesting angle i want to start with just kind of a question like, what is the reason for the season? You know, if you were to Google that phrase, reason for the season, the results you're going to discover are, are really quite revealing. Now, this might come as a total surprise to many fundamentalist Christians who believe that there are secular forces waging a war on Christmas. And yet, did you know, according to recent uh, data, uh, more specifically, a recent Pew study, This war on Christmas, (laughs) it's actually over. A lot of Christians don't realize that we've lost. Like while most Americans, according to the Pew study, participate in Christmas festivities, the reality is that a majority of people believe that Christmas has very little to do with the birth of Christ. If you're a Christian, you find that to be crazy, but but it's it's a fact. 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. But of that 90%, do you know that only 50% regard Christmas as being a religious holiday? It's astounding. And this decline, it's even more stark when you when you look at it generationally. Like generationally in America, our perception of Christian of Christmas has 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 evolved. For adults over 65, 66% see Christmas as a religious holiday, and that, that's really not a surprise. Uh, additionally, of those adults over 65, 60% will attend a religious service on Christmas or Christmas Eve, and 76% of that demographic believe in the virgin birth of Christ, the incarnation. However, and this is the mind-blowing, adults between 18 and 29, millennials, 39%, as opposed to 66%, only 39% see Christmas as a religious holiday. That's down 27%. Only 46, less than half, will attend a religious service on Christmas or Christmas Eve. That's down 14%. And 66% believe in the virgin birth. That's down 10%. You know, it's interesting that the same Pew study also revealed the way that churchgoers and non-church attenders celebrate Christmas is almost identical when you remove certain religious elements. 
Pew found that roughly 86% in both of these categories, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, 86% of both groups will spend Christmas gathering with family and the same percentage will participate in Christmas by giving gifts. You don't have to be a Christian to celebrate Christmas, ironically. Beyond that, an identical share of each of these two groups, 33%, will even pretend to get a visit from Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. Don't miss that. The same number of Christians participate in Santa Claus as non-Christians. Insane. Today, I need to tell you that if the reason for the season is only the fun tales of old St. Nick, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Buddy the Elf, or Frosty the Snowman, if your time this Christmas season is only occupied decorating evergreen trees or hanging lights and garland around the house or strategically positioning mistletoe. If you're focused this Christmas centers on consuming copious amounts of eggnog or gingerbread men or over frosted cookies, all of which are delicious. Or if your time is, is really spent just listening to holiday jazz or watching a bad Tom Hanks movie. Yes, I, I think the Polar Express is overrated. Or if your big reason for the season is a love affair with ugly sweaters. If your time this Christmas is dominated by receiving gifts or giving gifts or, in my case, returning gifts, I want you to know, while all of these things are fine and, and should be included, they're festive. But if these things dominate Christmas, if they are the reason for the season, then the truth is you're going to find yourself missing out on what's actually significant about this day. You see, there is a reason for the season, and the reason centers upon the amazing nature of God's grace. Christmas from a religious standpoint, yes, an arbitrary day that we're celebrating the birth of Christ, but a day nonetheless. The opportunity to recognize, to remember, to reflect on the birth of Jesus some 2,000 years ago, it oozes the grace of God. Now, I know you're driving around. You're listening on the radio. I want to read a little bit of the Christmas story. Specifically, I want to read seven verses that come out of the Gospel of Luke, specifically chapter 2. This is what the Bible says about Christmas, that it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census, Luke tells us, first took place while Canarius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, everyone to its own city. Now we get a little bit more specific. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, specifically to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who at the time was with child. 
So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for Mary to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke, the historian, he begins the narrative by telling us that, quote, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And since Joseph was a descendant of David, he and Mary, who was his betrothed wife, they traveled from Galilee out of Nazareth, which means they, 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 they traverse down the Valley of the Doves to the Sea of Galilee. And from the Sea of Galilee, they go south down the, the Jordan River Valley. And then they work their way up into Judea, heading towards the city of David, the city of Bethlehem. Now, the inconvenient timing of this decree and the subsequent journey for Mary and Joseph, well, it's obvious according to the text. Luke says that, that Mary, Joseph's wife, was with child, betrothed wife, was with child. Sadly, being in the first century, even a doctor's note wasn't going to get Mary out of this painstaking journey because of the decree. Poor Joseph has no choice but to load up his extremely pregnant wife and make the roughly 100-mile journey south from Nazareth into Bethlehem. And this was not an easy trip by any means. I mean, this is, this is wilderness. This is tough sledding. This is on foot. Mary's feet are swollen. I mean, this was brutal. I mean, the brutal two-week journey. I mean, it had to have been terrible. And yet, upon finally arriving after two weeks, there in the city of Bethlehem, things go from bad to worse for old Joseph. Luke tells us that, that Bethlehem was so overcrowded that Mary and Joseph are forced to set up shop in a stable well, Luke says, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, one of the things that, that I'd, I want to point out is that we have no idea, like we have glamorized what a stable actually was in a first century context there in Bethlehem. Like a stable in this part of the world in the first century was not a wooden shed set up upon a Thomas Kincaid-like, picturesque hillside. It didn't come with a view. You see, a stable in the first century context was, was probably nothing more than a cave there on the side of a hill that was used by shepherds to just protect their flocks from the weather. This cave, it was, it was damp. It was dark. It was, it was smelly. This stable was was utterly unsanitary. And then Luke tells us, you know, things go from bad to worse, from worse to absolutely horrifying. Because while they were there, Luke says, the days were completed. You know, I can imagine the scene, right? You know, Mary's trying her best to be supportive um, they're poor. They don't have a lot of resources. Joseph's doing his best, right? It's been two weeks traveling. Uh, they've been forced to make the journey. There are no other options. They have to do it. Uh, you know, Mary's a bit hormonal. Joseph's a bit stressed. Uh, she's pregnant. She's 
She's aching. Her body hurts. They finally get to Bethlehem. All Mary can, all Mary can think is like, I just need a room, a bed, a bath. <laughs> and, and, and Joseph has to come back and say, hon, um, uh, good news. We have a place. Bad news. It's a stable. And then they get there. They're looking around and Mary's water breaks. I mean, <laughs> like, don't detach yourself from the scene. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. The scene, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And what happens there in this stable, all Luke says, all Luke tells us. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger. Like, <laughs> like uh, Joseph's trepidation when his, when his wife's water unexpectedly breaks, like ready or not, Mary is going into labor and don't forget like there's no like, oh, let's quickly go to the hospital or let's call in the midwife. Like Joseph is looking around. He's in a stable. This is not exactly how he anticipated it playing out. Uh, Mary's water breaks. The baby's coming. Ready or not, here I come. Joseph, poor old Joe, is in a dynamic. He's going to have to be the doctor and the nurse. She brought forth her firstborn son. Notice she brought forth. She brought forth her firstborn son. I think probably at the first sign of blood, Joseph was absolutely useless. This teenager with a baby, Joseph, totally unexperienced. He's got no idea what he's doing. You know, one would have thought, you know, just logically, that such a monumental event in the history of humanity I mean, I mean, don't forget, this is the birth of God's son. Like, this is God sending his son Jesus to the world on an incredible mission to save us all from sin. I mean, this is the most incredible moment that's ever taken place in the history of mankind. The birth of Jesus. You would have thought that such an occasion maybe would have demanded a, a bit more of attention or fanfare. Maybe even that Luke would have given us more details. And yet what blows me away, in addition to just the simplicity, and Mary brought forth her firstborn son, they're in the stable, but beyond all of this, what blows my mind about the text, if you keep reading in Luke, is that he just tells us one quick thing and then he shifts the narrative in the most unexpected of directions. So don't go anywhere. We're going to pick it up right where we just left it off. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about the reason for the season. We're just a few days away from Christmas, and people have all kinds of, of, of priorities for this, this time of the year. 
spending time with family, giving presents to their children, their loved ones, taking a break from work, a little rest and relaxation, disconnecting from the the stress and the grind of the year, wrapping things up. Like there's a lot of reasons that we celebrate Christmas and we have an affinity for Christmas. But but you need to take a minute and realize that if your reason for the season doesn't include Jesus, man, you've missed it all, really. Now, in the previous block, we we looked at the narrative of the Christmas story. And and once again, don't get all legalistic and dogmatic. Yes, I know Pope Julius I arbitrarily picked December 25th uh, to be the recognized moment where Christianity would celebrate the birth of Jesus. And he had all types of pagan reasons for doing it and blah, 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 blah. Who cares? It is the day that we set aside to recognize an actual historical event that has major implications for all of, all of our lives. And that first night, man, that first Christmas it's really a shocking scene. Like all Luke really tells us, you know, they get to Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, they travel from Nazareth. It's two weeks. They get to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. So they had this stable. They get settled into the stable. No sooner than they get settled that Mary's like, ah, the, my water just broke and this baby is coming. There's no doctors. There's no nurses. Joseph is immediately panicking. He starts sweating. He's never delivered a baby before. First sign of blood, he's down for the count. Why? Because we're told she brought forth her firstborn son. Speaking of Mary, Joseph was probably worthless. With both of my two children um, in the in the in the delivery room, I only had really one goal, and that was not to need medical attention myself. Like I can't imagine the birth of either of my sons being dependent upon my involvement. It was funny because I get queasy with blood. I'm just looking at the contraction monitor, you know, trying to keep myself occupied. And every time, you know, the contraction was coming, I, I would turn to Jess and be like, the contraction's coming. And she would yell at me like, I know I'm feeling it. I was totally worthless. Really. I, I sympathize with Joseph. Like I, I would not have been much help. It's a stable. It's, it's a cave. It's damp. It's dark. It was used for animals. What a scene. You would think that Luke would have given us more details, more information, more color and context, but he doesn't. Instead, he just says that Mary brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. Like, boom, that's it. Full scene. The most incredible historical event to have ever happened on planet Earth. God incarnate. That's all we're given. And then Luke does something even more bizarre. He shifts the scene away from this stable to the most unexpected of directions. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, picking up the story, we're told now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of, of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards man. 
It really is amazing to me that instead of allowing his readers the chance to just soak up the incredible scene of the incarnation, Luke quickly transition transitions from the stable manger with baby Jesus to the tranquil solitude of a field full of shepherds who are watching over their flocks by night. Now, in much the same way as we've kind of sanitized the stable by making it a Thomas Kincaid-like picturesque hillside with this little quaint little stable, like somebody like, like Pinterest threw up on a hillside and you had the stable. But we've also just whitewashed uh, shepherds. Like, because our 21st century church culture has so sterilized the identity of shepherds, like, we have a hard time understanding how bizarre this scene shift is. 19th century scholar Alfred Edenstein, he wrote a book titled The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And, and in the book, th- he makes this claim, writing, quote, The shepherds were outcasts because of their necessary isolation from religious ordinances and manner of life. The, the job of a shepherd included certain tasks that would make you ceremonially unclean and unfit to offer an atonement for sins at the temple. Because of the shepherds, and you need to understand, shepherds were not the upstanding model citizens that we've made them out to be. Like you do a nativity play at church and you want your son to be one of the shepherds. Not if you knew what a shepherd was. Like if you were a shepherd in the first century, your life had had totally unraveled to the point that you were relegated to the occupation held by only the lowest rung of society. Like to the point that even God wanted nothing to do with you. You couldn't go to the temple. Like shepherds. Shepherds were commonly known in the first century to be drunkards to be addicts. They were vagabonds, sexually perverted pickpockets. These men, these shepherds, they were dropouts and bums, deviants, outcasts. Like, like if you want a middle picture, if you want a middle picture of, of what these shepherds actually were, imagine a biker gang of outlaws straight out of the hit TV show, Sons of Anarchy. Th- that's who these men really were. They were land pirates. Like no mother would ever dream of her son one day growing up to be a shepherd. It wasn't a career path. You see, it's not only weird that Luke prematurely leaves the glorious scene of the manger, but with these things in mind, it's it's just strange that he shifts the narrative to a group of shepherds who, mind you, by this hour of the night are likely sitting around a fire already half past tipsy. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment the shepherd's reaction when out of the dark sky we're told an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Literally, the brightness of God engulfs these men. Now, obviously, these men are immediately disoriented by the bright light, the angelic figure in front of them. Luke tells us They're greatly afraid. I imagine they were. Because the angel's first words intended to temper this fear, I see this scene as as completely hectic. He says, do not be afraid. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
stop freaking out for behold, I'm here not to smite you or to kill you. I'm here to bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Like, (laughs) I want to flip the script for just a second. Like, I wonder what the angel's reaction was when he found out that he was being sent to notify the world that Jesus had been born. Like, this is something that for like centuries he's been, he's been working on his speech. He's been working on his presentation. It's finally the day he gets sent. Boom. The curtain of the sky gets pulled back and he looks to see his audience only to discover that it's a few drunk shepherds and a field full of sheep. Like, if I had been that angel, right, I would have expected what? Oh, I would have expected, you know, the, 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 the curtain to pull back and, and there to be the temple in Jerusalem, the seat of religion. And if not that, then maybe maybe like the Colosseum in Rome, you know, which, which was the seat of, of power and politics. And if not that, maybe the Parthenon in Athens, you know, the seat of education and thought. The one thing, if you're that angel, I can say I would not have expected at all for the pronouncement that the Savior of the world has arrived would be shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. Now, though shifting from the glory of the manger to a dark field full of shepherds is peculiar, you know, in a twist, it really shouldn't be. Like, consider, with this in mind about shepherds, how many shepherds God's grace has already included in his story? Abel. Genesis. Genesis 4, Abel was a shepherd. Abraham, a shepherd. Isaac, Jacob, King David, on and on and on the list goes. You see, a dark field and a group full of deviants. Well, really, it's, it presents the perfect illustration of the world and the outlook of humanity. It's perfect, really. The world darkened by sin and rebellion against God. Though the shepherds were the chief sinners of the day, all of mankind was equally lost. And it's with that backdrop that the angel breaks through this darkness with the greatest news any sinner could ever hear that there was a Savior sent by God, Christ the Lord. Understand, Jesus came with the mission. You want the reason for the season? He came with a mission to shine a light into the darkness. He came to save those who were lost, to redeem the sinner, to reach the outcast and downtrodden. Can you think of a, of a better place to start such a mission than a field full of shepherds? These men, they weren't deserving of this good news. They hadn't earned the rights to be first recipients, and they knew it. You see, here's the thing, friend. The angel appeared to this group of shepherds for one reason, and it's the same he appears to us. God's amazing grace. That is a perfect place to end part one of today's special Christmas edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Pastor Zach has been talking about the miracle of grace in Christmas, really painting pictures with words describing that scene so long ago. We encourage you to check us out at outlawradio.org and on Facebook, Twitter, uh, whatever social media platform you use. And please stay with us. Zach will be back with part two of the Outlaw Radio Show. You're listening to a special Christmas edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. 
Here's Pastor Zach. You know, the scene that first Christmas is quite amazing. The humility in it all. Joseph, he has no idea what he's doing. This is not even his his kid. Mary, who's a teenager, she's never been pregnant before. She's never brought into the world a child, a stable. These two all by themselves in an environment that's, that's beneath, honestly, the son of God. And then the first, the first people included, the first pronouncement, the recipients of the, of the proclamation of this angel. It's not the, the most religious people or the most powerful people or the most politically connected people or the smartest people, brightest people. It's, it's, it's the bottom. It's the outcast. It's the deviant. It's the shepherds. A dark, a dark sky with a group of men utterly lost. That that's whom God chose to bring into the loop right from the beginning. These were the first people that God broke the news that there was a savior. Uh, it, It blows my mind, honestly, that God intentionally invited shepherds, these men to come visit his newborn son. I mean, think about it. Like it's one thing to let the shepherds, these, these crazy deviants know there's a savior. <laughs> it's another thing to invite them to come to the hospital room. Like inviting pirates. Hey, uh, my son was just born. Can you come up to the hospital room? I'd like to introduce you to my, my child. Like it's, 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 it's unreal. Honestly, Like God wanted shepherds of all people to be humanity's welcoming committee. A night that began like every other night was radically interrupted by the revelation that God wanted these men involved in the life of his son, Jesus. And you know, the ramifications of that are incredible. The reason for the season. You see, if God would go out of his way to involve shepherds in the life of Christ, if he would invite the likes of these men to be a part of his son's glorious story, here are the implications. There's hope for you and me. You know, in many ways, whether by intention or accident, Christmas. Christmas is filled with traditions characterized by their unapologetic desire to proclaim the impossible as truth. Right? And yet, though Christmas is full of impossible claims, the one that really does uh, take the cake is the idea, the notion that 2,000 years ago, God came to earth as a baby boy. And let's be honest, God taking on flesh, being born of a virgin to a teenage mother and a stable manger who would eventually grow up to be the savior of all of mankind is quite an astonishing assertion. But as he did with the shepherds. And in contrast to the approach that many take as it pertains to to their children's beliefs in Santa Claus. Like God isn't asking you to take this idea that he sent his son, that a virgin conceived, that Jesus was the God being. Like, Like God is not asking you to take that with a blind faith. He's not, he's not lying to you. You see, 
God does something interesting. He does something interesting for these shepherds, and he does something interesting for us. God makes quite a proclamation, but then he invites people to undertake a quest, to embark on a journey, to authenticate a claim. He invites men and women or shepherds to go and to see, to see for yourself. Like Note, note the, the, the progression. One of the things that jumps out at me about, about Luke's account, the, the progression of the angel's pronouncement. Like first, there was a statement of fact. What does the angel say? He says, there is born to you this day. It's a, it was a claim of absolute truth. Like the reality of the event itself was not debatable. It wasn't up for discussion. It wasn't to be questioned. The reality was sure. Jesus, the Savior, Christ the Lord, had been born that night in Bethlehem. Like it was a truth regardless of perspective or opinion. It was just a statement of fact. But it doesn't stop there. Secondly, there was an invitation then to authenticate that statement of fact. There is born to you this day. This will be the sign to you. It's almost as though the angel is saying to these shepherds, though the birth of Jesus is a fact, you don't have to take my word for it. Go and look for yourself. And then the angel goes one step further by challenging these shepherds to search for a particular sign or a point of authentication that would serve to validate the claim and dispel any skepticism they might have had. But finally... There was also a promise, right? You will find a babe. The English phrase, you will find, is actually one Greek word that literally means you will find out for yourself. Like the angel promises that if these shepherds would would accept the invitation to seek out proof for themselves, they would discover the claim of a Savior's birth was authenticated. And and you know, that's something that I really do love about God. As we see with the shepherds, God always presents truth, not as a pill he forces you to swallow, but he presents truth as something he invites people to search out and authenticate for themselves. The question really boils down to whether or not you'll accept the challenge to go look and to see. Well, Luke chapter 2 verse 15 concerning the shepherds we're we're told so it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another let us go to Bethlehem let's see this thing that's come to pass which the Lord has made known to us and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger now when they had seen him they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Crazy, right? I mean, the angel disappears. The shepherds look around at one another. And this is the conclusion that they reach. Like, what do we have to lose? Like, we might as well go and see. Like, really, what do we have to lose? They respond to the angelic invitation to go look and see, and what happens? This group of shepherds find themselves included in the divine story of Jesus' birth. That's amazing. After recognizing the significance of what all had just taken place, these shepherds, they make a, a resolute determination to act upon what? God's word. They challenge God's promises. 
A challenge was issued by the angel, go and see. And they concluded a step of faith was reasonable. Now, if if you'll indulge me for just a second, I I have a theory about this story that answers two questions that have always been, been nagging about that first Christmas night. Like, do, do you find it odd? Have you ever found it odd that the shepherds are out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night? Like, if you know anything of shepherds, that's totally abnormal, really against protocol. Like, a shepherd at night would, would never have been out in the fields grazing his flocks. He would have actually had them in the safety of a stable during nighttime. Which means you have to ask, why in the world were these shepherds and their flocks in a field and not in a stable where it was safe? And beyond that, have you ever found it peculiar that after determining they were going to find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, Luke just tells us they came with haste and found the babe lying in a manger? Though the angel provides these shepherds no details no directions other than just this one detail. It seems their quest to find the child, to find Jesus, wasn't terribly difficult. All Luke says is that they came with haste, which implies that the shepherds knew exactly what stable this baby was in. Now, we'll pick up that thought when we come back after this break, but I do want you to know here the Christmas season, if you don't have a church I want to make a promise to you. If you just email us, info at outlawradio.org, or if you find us on Twitter, you follow us on Facebook, if you reach out to us, it's my my promise that if you don't have a church to visit this coming Sunday, please reach out and we will help put you in contact with a good church, with a good family that you can worship with this coming Christmas Eve. One of the things we want to accomplish with Outlaw Radio is to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then seek answers on their own. The sad truth is that there are many Christians walking around representing Jesus with literally no clue why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to our show tackling the tough topics you might not hear on Sunday at church, we want to equip you, inspire you, and challenge you to study God's Word and wrestle with these challenging topics on your own. To aid you in this process, we want to share a resource we find incredibly valuable. Check out blueletterbible.org. In addition to a treasure trove of free commentaries, blueletterbible.org has an incredible word search function as well as the ability to dive into the original language behind a text. Basically, blueletterbible.org simplifies the process where you can study the Bible on your own. As I consider the shepherds, there's always been two questions I've always had about the scene. Two things that just never really made sense. Like, like first, why in the world are shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks at night? The protocol for shepherds was never to have your flocks in a field at nighttime. They're vulnerable. They're exposed to the elements. It was during the evening. You would you, At nighttime, you would never go grazing. You would put them in the stable for the night, and then during the day, you would take them out to graze. So it's always been weird to me that these shepherds are in a field keeping watch over their flocks at night. The other thing is that all Luke tells us is that the angel tells the shepherds 
that you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, and that then the angel leaves, and what happens? They came with haste and found the babe lying in a manger. Like, this word haste is interesting because the original word implies that the shepherds knew exactly what stable this baby was in. Which is interesting to me. Like, they're, they're not given any other details, any other directions, but they knew. Like, could it be, this is my theory, I'm sharing it with you. Could it be that the reason the shepherds were even in the field in the first place was because they had earlier that night given their stable to a young, poor couple desperately in need of a shelter because the woman was about to have a baby? You know, I, I believe these shepherds, as rough as they were, had demonstrated compassion towards Mary and Joseph earlier that night, which explains why the, the angel appeared to them first. Like, in a sense, the angels are just letting these shepherds know who it was they had actually just taken care of earlier in the evening. A baby in a manger, the son of God? The shepherds knew exactly where the baby was. Like, this is why I think this detail is interesting and important. God's grace had been extended to these shepherds and they had been completely oblivious to it. Demonstrating kindness by allowing a young woman to use your barn to have a baby was one thing, but like I have to assume that if they had known who that baby was, they wouldn't have even gone out into the fields that night. Like how awesome that God's grace sent the angels to make sure these men didn't miss the moment. Like, why was there no room in the inn? Was this an oversight on God's part? Poor planning? Or was this particular stable always part of God's design? Like, how ironic the angels weren't sent to the innkeeper who turned Mary and Joseph away, but instead were sent to a group of shepherds who had taken them in. <laughs> sure, they had initially been oblivious. You would have been too. But God's grace remained sufficient. They've now been brought into the loop. Like Luke tells us that when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying that was told them concerning this child. Like the word that Luke uses when they had seen him communicates more than just seeing with your eyes. The verse would be better translated, now when they perceived who he was. Like these men urgently acted in faith. They entered the stable and they not just saw Jesus, but they recognized Jesus for who he really was. He was their savior. And we know they believed because of the reaction they immediately uh, had after the encounter. Luke says that they leave, the shepherds leave the stable. They go into Bethlehem proper and they tell everyone who would listen what God had just revealed to them. The shepherds share their testimony. They were a witness of such things. So witnessing became natural. <laughs> How interesting, right? The outlaws had now become proclaimers of God's grace. And we're told that they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. After an encounter with Jesus yielded by God's grace, Luke describes two reactions these shepherds had to the things they had heard and seen. They glorified God, which describes their attitude before the Lord, before they proceeded to praise God, which described their actions before the Lord. After these things, Luke tells us that they returned. To return where? To the dark field in Bethlehem. Though these men's lives had forever changed through an encounter with Jesus, yielded by God's grace, their environment didn't change. They returned to the same field, filled with the same dingy flocks. You know, God never saves us to remove us from darkness. 
He saves us. Why? So that we can shine light into the darkness. So back to the original question. What's the reason for the season? Friend, in addition to the the fun our unique traditions attribute to this holiday, you should celebrate Christmas because it marks the day when God sent his son. Not to the religious or the power brokers or the great intellectuals, but when he sent his son to lowly shepherds, you and I. Christmas is important because it reminds us of God's grace and the glorious invitation that grace provides. On Christmas, you're afforded an opportunity to remember and reflect on the incredible reality that the majesty of God was sent to enter the sad plight of humanity. The true reason for the season is that Jesus willingly set aside the majesty of heaven to come to this earth, to enter your fray, to demonstrate God's grace, and to invite you to be included in his majestic story. And I've got to say, if you're listening to this and you feel, you find yourself feeling unworthy, if you feel like a failure, like Buddy the Elf, you see yourself as a cotton-headed niggimungans, you bought in the lie that whatever you've done or whatever you're currently doing places you beyond the reach of God. Even if you've been oblivious to all the moments God has demonstrated his grace to you in the past as illustrated in his dealings with these shepherds, these outlaws of Bethlehem, I want you right now to be encouraged. Take heart. Jesus came to earth specifically to involve himself in the life of a person like you. I don't care what you've done, but Isaiah 9, 6, here's a glorious reality. For unto you a child is born, for unto you a son has been given. You see, Christmas affords an incredible opportunity to celebrate the essence of God's grace, that because a son was given, a path was paved. For what? For your salvation to be received like those shepherds it's true you've done nothing to earn this gift the reality (laughs) you don't even deserve the gift but god gave his son anyway why for he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life you know Wrapping up this thought, the reason for the season. I want you to know this. Before Jesus could be laid in a garden tomb, he first had to be laid in a stable manger. You see, without that manger in Bethlehem, there could never have been a cross on Calvary. The manger leads to the cross. The question I want you to consider, whoever you are and wherever you're listening, Why do you celebrate Christmas? Do you only celebrate the cultural traditions that dominate the American landscape, which are fun, and go for it? But do you carve out time to celebrate and to consider the deeper, more spiritual implications found in the birth of Jesus Christ? (laughs) I want you to know, this isn't an angel or a heavenly host speaking to you through whatever darkness you're presently living in. You know who's speaking to you? Me. Zach. An outlaw. Another shepherd. Another shepherd changed by God's grace. 
All I'm doing is what those original shepherds did. I'm telling you what I've heard and seen. I'm relaying to you what I've experienced. (laughs) I'm just boldly declaring that there was born to you in the city of David a Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Friend, I just ask a simple invitation. Why not come and see? Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. If you like what you heard, I want to encourage you to do two things. First, please contact your local station and tell them that you're very thankful that they're carrying Outlaw Radio in your community. Without all of our many radio partners, this show would just be relegated to a podcast and very few people would hear it, so we're so thankful. So please let your station know that you like the fact that they carry the show. The second thing I'd ask you to do is to go to our website, which is outlawradio.org. Once again, outlawradio.org. And from the site, you can easily access our podcast, which is available on both iTunes and Google Play. From the podcast, you can listen again to this episode. You can share it via your social media. And you can really do that with all of the previous episodes as well. Additionally, let me once again encourage you to connect with me on Twitter at Radio underscore Outlaw. Send me an email at info at outlawradio.org. Or you can follow us via Facebook at The Radio Outlaw. Once again, I'm Zach Adams. And I hope you join me again this time next week for The Outlaw Radio Show. been listening to the one and only outlaw radio show with zach adams as mentioned if you like what you heard be sure to connect with us on facebook follow us on twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org to listen again to today's show access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes check out the outlaw radio podcast available on both itunes and google play Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.